word of God from Daniel chapter 10 and 11, a selection. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. The man then speaks to Daniel. He said, do you know why I've come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. After describing kings rising and falling, the man continues. A despised person will arise. Royal honors will not be given to him, but he will come during a time of peace and seize the kingdom by intrigue. A flood of forces will be swept away before him. They will be broken as well as the covenant prince. After an alliance is made with him, he will act deceitfully. He will rise to power with a small nation. During a time of peace, he will come into the richest parts of the province and do what his fathers and predecessors never did. He will lavish plunder, loot, and wealth on his followers, and he will make plans against fortified cities, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will prepare a battle with an extremely large and powerful army, but he will not succeed because plots will be made against him. Those who eat his provisions will destroy him, his army will be swept away, and many will fall slain. The two kings, whose hearts are bent on evil, will speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for still the end will come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his land with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action, then return to his own land. At the appointed time, he will come again to the south, but this time will not be like the first. Ships of Kittim will come against him, and being intimidated, he will withdraw. Then he will rage against the Holy Covenant and take action. On his return, he will favor those who abandon the Holy Covenant. His forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. They will abolish the regular sacrifice and set up the abomination of desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who act wickedly towards the covenant. But the people who know their God will be strong and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to many, yet they will fall by the sword and flame, and they will be captured and plundered for a time. When they fall, they will be helped by some, but many others will join them insincerely. Some of those who have insight will fall so that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed until the time of the end, 
for it will set it will come at the appointed time then the king will do whatever he wants he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and he will say outrageous things against the god of gods he will be successful until the time of wrath is completed because what has been decreed will be accomplished the word of god for the people of god Niece for reading a lot of verses for us from the last three chapters of the book of Daniel. Friends, we have a lot of work in front of us through the last three chapters. Daniel 10, 11, and 12 is one three-chapter unit. Chapter 10, verse 1, into chapter 11, verse 1, is the pre-vision conversation. Chapter 11 constitutes the vision itself, and chapter 12 is the conclusion and final conversation after the vision. That's 79 verses intended to be read and understood together. That means if I spend just one minute on each verse, it's going to take 80 minutes to get through. And let's be honest, there's no way I can spend one minute on each verse so here's what I propose. Let's just stay here through till about 4.30 this afternoon. We'll make our way through, grab some supper, come back for our Sojourn family Christmas. No, we're not actually going to do that. Some of you actually were getting worried, like, wait, is he serious? No, I'm not. We're going to divide these three chapters up into four different messages over the next four weeks. So today we're going to look at the way of the dragon. The pattern, progression, and passing, passing away of opposition to God. So let's pray together as we seek for God's favor upon us as we look at his word. Lord Jesus, we ask this morning that you would give us eyes to see reality as it is, as you see it, and not merely as we perceive it to be. Lord Jesus, give us a glimpse into transcendent realities that existed in your mind be before you created the cosmos. Deliver us from evil, and may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For truly, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen i got to be honest, I'm a bit disoriented this morning for one reason. I intentionally wore my glasses. I almost always wear contacts. The prescription is old and needs to be updated in these glasses. But the truth is, I'm nearsighted. So if I take these off, I can't see the facial features of anyone in this room. I see fuzzy blobs. I see shapes and nothing more. I can't even read the 22 size font on my iPad mini. So in order for me to keep going, I have to put my glasses back on. That nearsightedness is disorienting. Without my glasses, I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know if you're listening. I don't even know if you're people or fuzzy faceless blobs. I have 
no idea. But as soon as I put my glasses back on, clarity, understanding, confidence. Whether you require glasses or not, my guess is that you, like me, tend towards nearsightedness in this way. Current cultural events, powerful personalities, and cultural pressures have the power to disorient us, to undermine what used to be clear in our minds. Throughout this book, Daniel has been offering us a pair of glasses as a way of looking, a way of looking at reality that places what we perceive in its broader context, which we aren't always able to see. Daniel gives us these glasses, and in so doing, he unmasks the way of the dragon. Now, the word dragon may sound a bit like an overstatement, a bit like, I don't know, preacher hyperbole, but let me remind you that Satan is called that old serpent, a reference to Genesis 1. And in the book of the Revelation, which is Daniel's closest cousin in the Bible, Daniel is outrightly, or rather, Satan is outrightly labeled and described as a dragon. You see, all opposition to God find, find its place in one stream, following in the way of the dragon, the old serpent. I'm borrowing this phrase, the way of the dragon, from an excellent book, The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb. So this week, we'll start in chapter 11, and we're going to dis discern what is the pattern of the way of the dragon. And then let's go from there and work our way through Daniel to see how that pattern progresses, the progression of the way of the dragon, and then we'll see the passing away of the way of the dragon. So, number one, the pattern of the way of the dragon. To understand chapter 11 of Daniel, we need to remind ourselves of chapter 8. Remember the beastly barnyard vision, the ram and the goat, a ram was attacked and defeated by a goat. The goat then grew four horns. From one of those four horns grew a little horn. We understood that the ram was the Medo-Persian Empire, Cyrus's kingdom that was going to defeat the Babylonian Empire. But the Medo-Persian Empire was going to be defeated by the goat, symbolizing the Greek Empire. And sure enough, after Alexander the Great's conquest, the Greek Empire divided into four. Two of which were the Ptolemaic Kingdom, the Ptolemies in Egypt, and the Seleucid Kingdom in Syria. Now, don't let your eyes glaze over if you don't like history. We're going somewhere with this. Back here in chapter 11, if you look down at our text, you will see repeated references to a king of the north, and a king of the south. For instance, just glance down at chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. The king of the south will grow powerful, but one of his commanders will grow more powerful and will rule a kingdom greater than his. 
After some years, they will form an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to seal the agreement. She will not retain power, and his strength will not endure. She will be given up together with her entourage, her father, and the one who supported her during those times. In the place of the king of the south, so on and so forth. I'm not going to read all 79 verses. The king of the south and the king of the north. The king of the north is a reference to the Syrian Seleucid king. And the king of the south is a reference to the Egyptian Ptolemies, the Ptolemaic king. You see, this vision occurs, or rather covers, the years between 530 B.C. and 164 B.C., ending with Antiochus Epiphanes. You may remember we spent time looking at Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes several weeks ago, the same guy we met back in chapter 8. Now, Daniel 11 walks through these kings, one right after another, through that, what, 400-something years of human history in such detail that there are many who would suggest that Daniel could not have prophesied this. He had to be writing it after the fact. That's how accurate it is. And we could walk through name by name, verse by verse, and Mention each of these kings from history, and you could go search them on your computer and read about them on Wikipedia or wherever. But if we were to do that this morning, 15 of us would love it, and the rest of us would probably fall asleep. So we're not going to do that. I'm going to simply point you to a reference like the ESV Study Bible that will actually give you a diagram of these different kings and how they existed in history. But what I want you to do is take a look at this map. What people and nation is located geographically between the kings of the north in Syria and the kings of the south in Egypt? It is, of course, no surprise, the promised land and the nation of Israel. So the vision in chapters 10 through 12 concentrates on two kingdoms, that rose from Greece, whose interactions will directly affect the ethnic Jewish people from the time of Daniel for the next four to five hundred years. So chapter 11 is zooming in on the panoramas that were laid out for us in chapter 2, chapter 7, and chapter 8. Now this next picture has nothing to do with what we just talked about. This is me and my 98-year-old grandpa, Paul Roberts, and his wife, Ruby, in the background. This was taken back in October. Grandpa loves puzzles. And every time I would visit him as a child and go down to his basement, he would have card tables set up with puzzles in various states of completion, boxes of puzzles on bookshelves, and puzzles that he'd made and glued together hung up on the walls. My dad also likes puzzles. When doing a jigsaw puzzle, you need to take note of what's on the piece that you're looking for. The colors, the shapes, the shades. But you also need to look at the shape of the actual missing piece. Is it a border piece? Does it have multiple tabs or blanks? And determining the pattern of the piece 
helps you know what you're looking for, and it helps you know what you're looking at. So let's ask this question. What features do we see in Antiochus Epiphanes that might establish some sort of pattern for us to look forward to? Well, chapter 11 gives us features of this pattern. The first feature is an arrogant human leader. Daniel 11, verse 36, look down at your Bibles. Then the king will do whatever he wants. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will say outrageous things against the god of gods, an arrogant human leader. Feature number two, who distorts the nature of reality by demanding inappropriate loyalty. Verse 21, he seizes the kingdom by intrigue. Verse 23, he will act deceitfully. Verse 28, his heart will be set against the holy covenant. Verse 36, he magnifies himself against every God that we just read. Verse 39, he will greatly honor those who acknowledge him as he is magnifying himself above every other God. Feature number three, he targets the worshipers of God. Look at verse 30. Then he will rage against the holy covenant and take action. That's the, the Abrahamic Mosaic covenant that God give, gave to his people Israel. On his return, he will favor those who abandon the holy covenant. His forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. They will abolish the regular sacrifice and set up the abomination of desolation. So friends, let's ask the question and not allow this text to remain merely in history. Do these three features of Antiochus's reign hold true as a pattern of those who follow the way of the dragon? Well, this brings us to number two, the progression of the way of the dragon. Now think with me back through the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, demanding worship on pain of death in chapter 3. And in chapter 4, taking credit for his power and kingdom, even after being warned by God about his pride, and because he had been treating others, other image bearers unmercifully. Think back to Belshazzar, committing sacrilege against God using the temple bowls that should have been used to in the worship of the one true God, using them to get stone drunk in chapter 5, as his kingdom is on the verge of destruction. Think of Darius or Darius, a.k.a. Cyrus, making a decree that he alone is to receive all the prayers in his kingdom for 30 days on pain of death in a lion's den. In chapter 6. Friends, this is how the pattern progresses in the book of Daniel, but not just in the book of Daniel, in the history of the world since Daniel. Arrogant human leaders who distort the nature of reality by demanding inappropriate loyalty and who target the worshipers of God. So the pattern of the way of the dragon is clearly defined, and that pattern progresses in Daniel and it will progress in history in the appearance of all kinds of human rulers who follow in the way of the dragon. 
all of the way, by the way, until the end. So what do we see in the crucial chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, which is the climax of the book? You see a parade of terrifying beasts who represent successive kingdoms culminating in a monster, a dragon with ten horns. And then a little horn appears. Do you remember what we ought to expect from that little horn? Well, the text is on the screen. Daniel 7, 24 through 25. I believe I have it on the screen. Another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will, shocker of all shocker, shocker, speak words against the Most High. He will oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. Friends, this is the Antichrist, the ultimate follower of the way of the dragon. The same one John references in 1 John chapter 2. He says, children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now, so also, even now, many Antichrists have come. By this, by what? By the fact that there are many Antichrists who have come, by this we know that it is the last hour. Antichrists, one right after another, come until the final Antichrist, the little horn of Daniel 7, the more terrible Antichrist, of whom Antiochus Epiphanes of chapter 8 and chapter 11 is merely a shadow. Jerome described the Antichrist as the final king of shocking power, desolating sacrilege, and unholy success. So, what is the encouragement to us as a church, to the followers of God? Well, we've seen the pattern and the progression of the way of the dragon Let's look at, finally, the passing away of the way of the dragon. In each example I have referenced this morning, each example of the pattern, the pattern passes away. It does not last. Friends, the way of the dragon is a powerful intoxicant, but it destroys everyone who follows it without exception, all the way to the Antichrist. If you were to skim through the book of Daniel this afternoon, it would leave you assured that every human ruler and every human kingdom, no matter how powerful, no matter how grand, no matter how all-encompassing of humanity, if it's following the way of the dragon, it has a shelf life. And that impermanence is settled, no matter how exaggerated the wickedness of the ruler. And that pattern holds all the way to the Antichrist. What will be the end of the Antichrist? Well, listen to the words of Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says this, Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, 
that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, that is the final ultimate ruler of exaggerated wickedness, the Antichrist, until the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. Does that sound familiar? So that he sits in God's temple. Does that sound familiar? Proclaiming that he himself is God. That's the pattern, right? An arrogant human who distorts the nature of reality and demands inappropriate loyalty. Paul continues, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And what's his end? The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. Friends, the way of the dragon is going to pass away. It might be next year. And it might be next millennium. But rest assured, it's going to happen. The passing away is built right into the pattern of the way of the dragon. The way of the dragon doesn't ever lead to permanence. It leads only to destruction. And it leads to destruction because precisely it's the way of the dragon. The dragon gets destroyed. The dragon himself, Satan, will meet the same end. So what do we do with what we've heard? What do we do in light of this pattern and the progression and the passing away of the way of the dragon? Well, I'd like to make several suggestions. Number one, expect to see the pattern in whole or in part throughout your lifetime. Expect to encounter arrogant human leaders using other humans to achieve their own ends. Expect to see it in your workplace. Expect to see it in economics and business. Expect to see it in politics. I know you didn't see that one coming. And friends, tragically, expect to see it in religion, in the church. Expect men and women to figure out how to use the trappings of religion to prey upon God's people in order to build their platforms and fulfill their desires. Doing what? Following the way of the dragon. Expect to see human beings distorting reality. From your children to your coworkers to ourselves our own hearts. Expect to see a pattern of distorting reality. And we ought to expect to see this pattern from rulers who will not submit to God. Why are we surprised at the arrogance and the pride of human leaders? Expect denial and distortion of the nature of reality. Whether it's denying the image of God in man, or denying the sanctity of human life, or denying the existence of absolute truth and an untouchable standard of the good, the beautiful, and the true. 
describing existence in purely materialistic terms and for purely materialistic ends, friends, expect it. It's the way of the dragon. Expect thought leaders and cultural leaders and pop culture leaders to distort reality by embracing money, sex, and power as the end all. Expect to see racism and greed embrace a distortion of reality. Expect arrogant bullies to become leaders. Expect powerful men to treat women like objects and to use anyone to get ahead. Expect those in power to deny humanity to some portion of humanity, whether the unborn or the elderly or the feeble or the mentally ill or the neurodivergent or the physically disabled. Expect to see it in the past. When you read history, look for the pattern. Expect awful policies like what we saw in the 20th century. Eugenics, forced sterilization for undesirable persons. Pogroms in Eastern Europe and concentration camps in Germany and labor camps in Russia and re-education camps in China. And in the U.S., government-sanctioned abortion, segregation, Jim Crow, redlining, Japanese internment camps during World War II expect a distortion of reality. Expect to see it in the present. Expect leaders to continue to call for the castration of children and the use of irreversible surgical intervention and puberty-blocking medication on children not yet old enough to lawfully decide whether they're going to get a tattoo. All in an epic distortion of reality, an elevation and recreation of the self, an attempt to rewrite what has been permanently etched on human biology by God the creator who gives gender as a good gift. Expect leaders to treat marriage between a man and a woman as passe, to treat sex as recreation, and to treat children as expendable nuisances. Because that's the way of the dragon. Expect an increase in pushes for physician-assisted suicide or, as we like to call it now, medically-assisted dying, which is legal in Canada for virtually any reason that a patient may give, and legal in 10 states in the United States, putting the autonomous self in the driver's seat when it comes to life and death. And expect Christians to be targeted to varying degrees as we firmly refuse to buy into a distorted reality field, as we refuse to bow to the demand for absolute inappropriate loyalty. It shouldn't surprise us. Friends, it's kind of what we signed up for when we said we were going to follow a suffering Savior. I asked Bradley if I could use this as an illustration, and he quickly said yes and said he would turn my mic up at the appropriate moment. Bradley and Bailey hosted some of us to watch the SEC championship game yesterday. They are two of our resident Alabama fans. Every church needs a couple of Alabama fans, if only to remind us that life is still broken. 
But we notice something. <laughs> wow, that's hot. But we notice that every so often, when the game would get close or before a big play, Bradley would disappear. And we noticed he would stop his pacing around the room and he'd head out the back door. A couple of us wondered what was happening and we tried to figure it out and we figured it out. See, the TV in the back room was 20 seconds ahead in the broadcast. And in a fraught moment in the game, when the anxiety and nerves of the moment were too heavy, Bradley could go get a sneak peek of the outcome. Knowing what was to come brought a sense of calm, of confidence. Why? Well, friends, because knowing the outcome, no matter if it's momentarily favorable or not, removes the anxiety. It removes the tension. Friends, the book of Daniel is a broadcast 20 seconds ahead of what everybody else is watching. We know what is to come. We know the pattern is going to progress. We know where the pattern leads. So in fraught cultural moments, which is kind of like life in America the last, I don't know, 10 years, in fraught cultural moment when truth seems unknowable, and anxiety and outrage is all that's on tap, we've been given a different perspective, and that perspective should bring confidence in the chaos, stability in the tension, a sense of relief in an anxious age. So Christian, may I say it another way? Put on the glasses that Daniel offered. Receive the stability of the perspective. Perceive reality as given to you from the revelation of God himself. Expect to see this pattern in leaders who are opposed to him, no matter what their political affiliation is. And don't let it shake you. And don't be surprised to see elements of this pattern within the church. That's why, unfortunately, we hear story after story after story after story after story after story after story of pastor or scholar so-and-so, a Christian leader with a large platform who has distorted the reality they're living in, demanded loyalty from their followers, and targeted the worshipers of God. We shouldn't be surprised. It's the way of the dragon. So, friends, grow in identifying this pattern. And let me give you one example of how you can do this. Talk to others who have experienced this pattern in ways that you've not. For example, ask a black, Hispanic, or Asian brother or sister what it's like to live in the Bible Belt of the South in an age when we have supposedly moved beyond racism and prejudice. Ask what it's like to walk into Costco. How have they experienced the pattern of arrogant humans distorting reality playing out 
in their experiences. And when you see the pattern, friends, don't freak out. Because fear will never lead to a godly response. Fear may well lead you to embrace the very pattern you are witnessing in order to overcome the pattern you are fearful of. January 6th. Number two. Lament or repent when you see the pattern. Repent when you see the pattern in your own life and lament when you see it in the world. This should grieve us. We have to be willing to acknowledge it in history and in the present. And when someone points out your own arrogance or your own tendency to distort reality through the lies you tell yourself or how you posture or pretend or perform in public to appear appear better than you know yourself to be, don't respond, don't react. Repent. Turn back to the way, the truth, the life. Turn back to Jesus. Turn back to the way of the Lamb. Not the way of the dragon. Find freedom in the Gospels. Friends, this is one reason why weekly we turn to liturgy. We turn to confession in our liturgy. We want to push back against this tendency, this pattern that we see in our own lives. So friends, repent of how you embrace this pattern and place your trust in the eternal king of the eternal kingdom the one who defines and demonstrates the way of the Lamb, a humble, sacrificial, others-oriented servant leadership, the one who gave his life so that we might enjoy life. Friends, if you are in Christ, you have been freed from following the way of the dragon, and more than that, you've been freed from fearing the way of the dragon. Number three, speak up compassionately and courageously when reality is being distorted. Friends, it's not loving to allow others to be hurt by those who embrace the way of the dragon. In saying that we should expect the pattern, that doesn't mean that we should sit passive when we see the pattern. It doesn't mean that we should not speak up against it. It doesn't mean we don't work to protect others. When we're told that the answer to the world's ills is the election of candidate A, or that all truth is relative and self-defined, we should recognize the fallacy of that lie as stemming from the dragon. And we should view with compassion those whose internal fears groom them to embrace the lie. And our faith empowers us Not to be the ones shouting down the lie in spaces where everybody else is shouting, because guess what that accomplishes? Absolutely nothing. But rather winsomely and clearly articulating truth in relationship with people. And friends, that takes trust, that takes time, that takes truth, and it takes compassion. And friends, if you choose to speak up compassionately and courageously in relationship with others in a world embracing the way of the dragon, expect pushback. You may lose your job. 
Are you prepared for that? Your influence in culture will be marginalized. Are you okay with that? You may become, to quote a disgraced way of the dragon pastor, a body under the bus. But friends, if you are in Jesus, you have all the acceptance you could ever need. So may I offer those four words to keep in mind. Trust, time, truth, compassion. We need to build trust in relationships with people. And that takes time. Friends, we don't need to be in a hurry. The Spirit of God is not in a hurry. And we are cooperating with Him. We can move at His pace. Embrace and live out the truth yourself and have compassion on those who've embraced a lie knowing that if it wasn't for God opening your eyes and opening my eyes, we would embrace the same lie. It's only the grace of God. Number four, give yourself to the kingdom of Jesus. Give yourself to the way of the Lamb. Friends, building your life, incorporating elements of this pattern, or giving your loyalty to those who embrace the pattern, it will only ever create impermanence and instability in your life. Building your life on Babylon or on Rome or on the American dream, it will not end well. It has a shelf life. So friend, this is an invitation to you into the kingdom of God to orient your life around the kingdom of God. Choose the rock that cannot be shaken. We've been warned by Daniel about the alternative, the pattern of opposition to God and its impermanence. So Christian, when you are targeted by arrogant human leaders distorting reality, suffer well. Now, if that targeting is ever abusive in nature, seek help, whether that's through law enforcement or legal or professional means or through your community of support or the church, make your voice heard, get help, but Christian as a whole, as the church, as the world embraces the distorted view of reality, expect that your worldview, the Bible worldview, and those who hold it are going to be seen as out of date, out of touch, and repressive. So let me ask you again. Are you okay with that? Now if we're jerks about it, that's on us. But embracing truth means we're going to go against culture. Actively proclaim a different kingdom and a different way by your life of love and compassion on others. Number five. Be involved in the world in faithful, tangible, meaningful ways. I was speaking with a brother this week in our church family whose job puts him daily in touch with very vulnerable individuals who have lived the darkest parts or who have experienced the darkened part, darkest parts of the brokenness of humanity. People who have experienced awful abuse at the hands of those who ought to have loved them. They've experienced the pattern that we've looked up here 
They've experienced it up close and personal. And we could leave our lament there. But this brother and his wife has embraced the difficult challenge of faithfully bringing the presence of Jesus into those individuals' lives by showing up, by being present, by hearing their stories, by being faithful in tangible, meaningful ways. So friends, on your street, in your community, at your workplace, show up. What might God be inviting you into in order to be involved in faithful, tangible, and meaningful ways to demonstrate the joy of life following not the way of the dragon, but the way of the Lamb? the one who loved us and gave his life for us. The pattern is set. It's going to progress through history and it's passing away is certain. So friends, if you have embraced the way of the lamb, you are on the right side of history. No matter what your culture tells you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you for the truth that you have laid out for us. We thank you for your kindness in giving to Daniel this pattern that he's written into every layer of his book, from the narrative portions to the apocalyptic portions here at the end. Father, forgive us for being surprised at what you have clearly told us to expect. Father, motivate us to dive deeper into your word to assess and analyze what we are hearing as truth on a daily basis. Father, give us the courage to, without fear, embrace others who have embraced the lies to love them deeply to treat them with compassion to be faithful presences in their lives and father we ask that you would strengthen our church to be a light that reflects the light of Christ may we be a place for those who have been chewed up and spit out by the way of the dragon. May we open up our lives to one another's in, in ways that shares stories with each other to encourage and to strengthen one another as we live life in a world dominated by the way of the dragon. Father, we ask for your grace to be faithful, to be fearless, to be loving until we see Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come quickly. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.